I listen to um, that band name. I don't know. My brain's working, not working this late. In sync. Yes, you've got me. That's the one that I listen to. Do are you gonna shotgun a bunch of follow-ups now? No, let's let's uh let's yeah, let's do this. Let's go let's go really quick. Those are the ones list. that you think will be related to what we were just talking about. Let's um, talk more about destiny, is what I'm saying. No, we're not gonna talk. We've we've talked a lot about destiny. All right, so let's That's start from amazing. the top here. So we're just gonna follow up from Editor Wars, uh, because I had mentioned that I was I had started out using VS Code Insiders, which is the nightly build. Yeah, how'd that go? Uh, so I had to follow up on that. It's been going pretty well. It's been going pretty well. I have not seen any sort of issues or problems. It's been super, super stable. Um, have you seen any features in it that you didn't get on the other one that you feel like, oh my God, wow, I now have this feature? No, there was, I think there's been one mainline release since I started using the Insiders build. And I remember reading about it and going to look at it and reading the changelog. I was like, oh yeah, I have all these already. So all the stuff that's in the mainline build is for me anyway, now like old news by the time it even makes it. Right. Ooh. So even so if it, cool. and, and the thing is, is like, I'm kind of like worried a little bit because I know there's going to be some point where some feature somewhere is going to make an insiders. It's not going to be stable. It's going to break everything. And I'm going to have to eat my words. But so far it's been, it's been pretty good. It's been pretty good. Uh, the green logo is great. Um, you can always download the other version, can't you? Because you can have because it has have a different bo- name. I have both installed right yeah, now. Yeah, so, so if the other one breaks, you just switch to the other one really quick. It's a blue blue green deployment, man. That's how it is. Oof, yeah, yeah, that's exactly, exactly what it is. Blue green, huh? It's exactly what it is, man. That's a that's a joke that only Greg and I understand. And so, Kyle, and, and Kyle. Kyle. Well, Kyle will probably will understand it. Anyways, Ooh, dark the deep shots. <laughs> Albert's Albert's hot taking you. That was Kyle. that was. I'm sorry, Kyle. Please, yeah. Please don't leave. You just battery. lost him. See, please he was don't. like, I was into. Gre- I like Greg now more because he was talking about Destiny for a while, and now you just hot take me. Please don't leave us a bad review. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, the other thing I want to follow up on with the with the editors is that I remember you talking about how the built in terminals in the code editors that you shouldn't use those. Yeah, and I don't you use very them. specific. Well, mm-hmm. now I've come around to this. Now let me tell you why. Because mm-hmm. I term dope. No, not, not necessarily. Okay. okay, okay. So. Remember how the Insiders build is a nightly build? Yeah. So they update it literally every single night. Yeah. And what do you have to do every time restart you- Restart the editor? You have to restart the editor. So you lose your terminals. Actually. So you lose your terminals. So I've had to work around this mm-hmm. because I've been of the persuasion to have everything kind of in the terminals. But now if I have a long running process, I can't do that because I'm literally restarting- it's the first thing I do when I get to the office every single morning. So, so every morning you have to restart your editor. No. So what I've been doing is that if I know that I have a process that's like a local host, something or other running, that's in I the usually terminal turn those off, off because sometimes you get memory leaks. That's true too, but I don't really worry. I don't know about why. I think the power nap turns on and then all, like in the max and then all of it a sudden. It gets a little squirrely. It gets weird. Like especially with AEM. If it I kept that running, properly, yeah. it cannot suspend properly. Yeah, that's true. But I, I mean, a lot of the like simple node Gatsby stuff is fine. I if it closes, yeah. If it if if it's a process that I type in a command and it closes out, then I'll do that inside the the integrated terminal. If it's a long running thing like a like a server or 
HTOP or something, then I'll run that in my separate terminal over here and just write code in the editor. So I've been limiting my inter integrated terminal use to things like doing my commits. Um, mm. I've been writing a little Python. So I've been doing like, little, just run the Python script. Mm. It is right a good there. combo. I usually do actually, if I'm writing like a, like a Python script and then I was just like running it to see what the results are, I usually, like if I'm using PyCharm, I usually will do that in the integrated terminal. Yeah, it makes sense because it's right there. It's right there. And you, you if you're writing like one script on the right side of the editor, especially with IntelliJ or PyCharm, you can have the whole terminal. Yeah, that's pretty good. So, so it's nice. those, are, those are the things that I wanted to follow up on. The one thing I want to ask you about mm -hmm, is that mm -hmm. you were talking about IntelliJ yeah. in that episode. Uh, IntelliJ has since released a new major version. Yeah, 2019.1, I think. 2019.1. Yeah. Have you tried it? What are your results? Has it been just rock solid study um, since or anything, anything interesting there? No, I, I do have it. I did install it. Um, they added first class support for themes was the big thing in 2019.1. Really? They didn't have themes before. They had like the color themes of the editor itself, which is where like Darkula and other ones came from. But they don't, they didn't actually have a native way to control the themes. And the reason why they added that is because there's a guy, I believe his name is Chris RM is his name on GitHub or I don't know what his name is, but he, we can look it up. He made the material theme for IntelliJ that makes IntelliJ like amazing looking. It's like super good. He did a really good job, but he actually had to go into like the, I don't know how he did it, but he like went into aspects of the editor that you weren't supposed to control and then wrote a plugin that like manipulates all of them. Like he spent literally a year and a half building this theme. And then IntelliJ was like, or JetBrains was like, JetBeans was like, that's an amazing theme. That's really cool. We're going to go ahead and make that first party. So part of that probably was to sandbox that stuff, right? Because you don't want people just poking around in those files. I think that the files, I think that the, the ability to change those things was always available in the API, but it wasn't like a first party theme switcher. Oh, okay. So I think there's been other themes in the past that people have tried to install that kind of break IntelliJ. But then this one has been so popular and so good that they were like, well, whatever they did, they made it easier to make full themes for the editor. That's pretty know. cool. So, and a lot of other editors have had that, like IntelliJ or um, VS Code is literally just CSS, yeah, which yeah. is cool. It's a JSON file to config, all that stuff. It's great. Yeah. You can also control it with CSS. I'm pretty sure this is, this is a style Well, sheet. no, they give you access to the, um, like the properties Yeah. via uh, like, a, like a JSON object and you can pass it colors just like you would CSS. I thought that it used to literally have CSS. I mean, sure it does, but whatever. Early on, the, it did. The API that it has for theming the thing, yeah, is, is, just, is, is very well. Yeah. But I remember at one point in time, the only way you can control the bottom bar being that ugly blue color it used to be was with CSS. They changed it to make they it variable. It yeah, but I don't know. I used IntelliJ a long time, or VS Code a long time ago. But most of the time, the changes to IntelliJ are related to Java. I think there were some changes to JavaScript in twenty nineteen point one, but. I don't think it was like that insane, but don't if you care, don't quote me. Look at the look at the readme. They might have added something for um because they keep adding like IntelliJ has a lot of refactoring tools. So they they have they keep adding things for ES6, like refactor this to spread operators, like oh yeah, yeah. In, in, Little intelligent help, like helpers and stuff, right? Well, like an, it'll actually ana analyze the code that you've written. Like you select a certain point, certain code, and you're like, you know, refactor this to a spread and we'll do it potentially or surround this with an if like there's all kinds of stuff that I actually really don't use that often because I just know how to type but um 
there's some pretty cool stuff. Like if you want to, you can like easily wrap a set of code that you select in an if statement or put it in an else or put it in a try catch or whatever. So I don't know, IntelliJ is pretty cool, but I don't know what else they've added to 2019.1. Yeah. I do have it. Um, I do know that it it actually broke one of the things in the theme, the material theme, the bottom. There's like horizontal scroll bars that are now white. Oh no. Which they used to be cool. I'm sure they'll fix it. I don't know. They may have changed what the property name was they or something. They might have changed something and he hasn't fixed it, but he's released a few versions since then. But, you know, he's doing a service. He's doing he's doing the uh, the coding lord's work. So <laughs> Making coding, our editors look good. Coding lord's work. That's great. Yeah. Um, so you haven't noticed anything different. That's good. No, and it definitely isn't that's what That's worse. what you want out of major yeah. releases is to really not notice a whole lot. So Well, you want to have new features, but IntelliJ, the problem, one of the things with IntelliJ is there's just so many damn features that, and so many menu options that I don't always know what's new or even use anything in it. That's true. VS Code is starting to get like that too. Um, a lot of the new features are things that I don't even use or haven't had to run into, but I'm sure somebody asked for them. So I'm glad they're there. They're not impacting anything I do, so would win all the way around. I really wish that somebody would make an editor. Like we talked about this thing when we talked about VS, uh, IntelliJ. I wish that they would make an editor where every single thing, I think this is actually how VS Code is built, but every single thing in it is a plugin and you can disable anything you want within reason. There's core things that you can't disable and then there's like other things you can. So like say they added like internal Git to VS Code and I never use it. You want to turn it off? I want to turn it off. I think you can do that in VS Code. You probably can. But the point is like, <laughs> That's how every editor should be. Like, I should be able to go into... I, mean, I know <laughs> it's much more complicated than that. Like, everything is kind of interrelated. But I should be able to turn off, like, Java support in IntelliJ on a certain project. But I understand it's a fundamentally different way to build. Yeah, that's a editor. tricky tricky way to handle things. You, no, want, it's things, only, only you want some if, things like, to be global and you want some things to not be global. You know, but if only, like, the, the language that IntelliJ was built in had the ability to support oh, man, packages. Only had, like, like, little packages that you could just do... You know, like Spring, where you can actually like go into Java and like just disable like one piece of functionality. Like oh, you man. Can, you can oh. like do that with that language, can't oh, you? Oh, man, I don't know. I don't know man. anything about, oh, man. There's oh. this thing called Maven that like oh, allows you to Maven. like turn things off and build a certain way. Is that that MVN thing they've seen? That MVN thing that you've used occasionally. Oh, like man. Java has all that stuff. Oh, man. So does JavaScript. Oh, you man. Just, just, you just go into, I know that some things are interrelated, you know, don't at me. I understand I'm a programmer. Like some things are interrelated in a certain way that once they're enabled, like they have to be there. What's the feature flags are for, man? Do better. Okay. We'll keep an eye out for that stuff in future versions. And I'll let you know if uh, my blue-green deployment breaks at any point in time in the future. Okay, yeah. moving down the list. Mm -hmm. Next one I want to talk about, CSS is hard. I want to bring this up because I have made a large change. Oh, God. I'm house-style components now. <sighs> now, let me tell you why. There are two very mm -hmm. specific reasons why I have moved over. Can't you just be like house whatever works? I am like that, but I think style components work now. So here's there are two they very specific reasons. They require a lot more work. Two very specific it. reasons. Uh -huh. Yeah. Reason number one. Yeah. The one of the biggest things that I had a problem with with early versions of stock components is that you had to define your stock components inside of the React component. Yeah, you don't. You do cannot anymore. use a separate style sheet. Yeah, that you can annoyed just export the, them. Now you can use a style a when separate did that, sheet. That came out because I don't stock components five. I think they came out in like version. Maybe it's since you looked at it the first time. Since it's I looked at it, been I saw, there for a the while. first time I looked at stock components it was definitely somewhere between one and two. Yeah, they're now on, they're, they're on like five now. So you can that's create you can create a style.javascript file for every component and export. And you can also have classes. you can organize it. You can wrap so you have them. like a global one if you want to. And you can have them nest down. So it's yeah. essentially they're essentially just like React components, but there are blocks of style, which is perfect. That's great. Yeah, but now exactly but what they also require server side rendering to work correctly. 
Flash have no contents. That is also true. That is something that I've run into. There's this tech director I know who'd be like, if you have to compile things, what is, I mean, to be fair, before you say anything, he is correct. Like it is the web. You should just be able to write, put it in there and it works. But no, you have to like run a whole build tool just to make CSS work. That's crazy. Used to be able to just put a style sheet on a file. Target those divs. You you should give that person uh, an app that has just all the styles in one file and let him figure it out. Well, you know, some would argue. that's the alternative that he's arguing for when he says that. Some would argue that the web was never built to make apps. That is also true, but the... We need a new paradigm. I have opinion about this because the reason... Everybody says Electron sucks. Everybody says web apps suck. Well, you know what? All these people who made OSs for the last 30 years didn't bother figuring out how to do a cross-platform Dude, JavaScript doesn't even actually have concurrency. I don't know what you're talking about. doesn't matter. It's the only thing that's cross-platform. Well, it, it, it's only cross-platform. It's the only thing that is truly C++ OS plus is cross-platform. cross-platform. C++ is cross-platform. You want to build a GUI in C++? I'm just telling you, man. Java's cross-platform. How are you going to build your app in C++, man? I don't know. I'm just telling you. It is. It is. It is. You know what? We talked about this. Follow-up. You know what JavaScript is? It's C. Yes, we know. We talked about that. But the thing is, is that you can complain all you want about JavaScript not being the correct having all these bad things about it and why it shouldn't be the the platform that runs on all platform or the the language that runs on all platforms. Well, it's the best of many bad options. And so what does that say about all these bad options that you've been building for the last 40 years? Well, it, that's my rant. I'm it, sorry. No, but to build, I would say to build actual applications, I'm not saying that JavaScript isn't a good choice, but it doesn't have concurrency. It literally does not have concurrency to build an operating system. You need concurrency. I'm not talking about building operating system. I'm talking about what building an app? an app that what runs. What is an app? What if your app has to write to a file and read from another file at the same time? It technically can. The only reason why it does it in JavaScript is because of the event loop. So it writes a little bit, reads a little bit, writes a little bit, reads a little bit, writes a little bit, reads a little bit. How long has that been a problem for applications? That have to I mean, it took desktops? them a long time to figure out how to even make concurrency sort of work in JavaScript, the promises. Well, no, and my, async await now makes it actually pretty my good. My point is that all the people that have been building apps for Windows over here in their little silo, for Mac OS over here in their little silo, for Linux over here in their little silo, they didn't bother talking to each other because they didn't think that having a cross-platform thing was a thing that people wanted. Well, Electron just proved all of you wrong. Yeah, but you're also, so, taking, you're also taking a language that's not very good at making apps. And yeah, you can make it do that. I mean, I'm not going to... Don't, don't at me. It's not not good. It's just if you asked people who really work on Electron, like is JavaScript literally the best language that could ever be built for this? The answer would probably be no. The answer is absolutely no. no. We're not arguing yeah, yeah. that. The, maybe it is the best choice of, like you said, of a bunch of bad options, but it's not like, I don't know. It I don't is, think there is, is one true language that runs on everything. Well, there needs because, to be. That's well, my point. The problem is there you have, have yeah, you have different people I mean, like, what is the one true language that actually works everywhere? It's called C++. It's called Make. It's called GNU. It's all those stupid things, all those compilers, G++, GCC. They're all for C because C is the common language. Build me UI tools that I can build stuff with them. Well, they did it. It's called JavaScript. I mean, what is what is CSS? It's probably ultimately C. Then, So then for everybody out there... So someone needs to make Electron, a new language that it compiles hates- or runs on C that is better for building UIs, and I bet you it wouldn't be... A non-concurrent language. It's probably WebAssembly. I think that's actually what WebAssembly is. <laughs> well, WebAssembly is something that can run in V8, but yet run any, any language. So yeah, probably. But I mean, you're still going to have the same problem. It's really hard to make a C++ GUI library on top of WebAssembly. But, you know, I don't know. Somebody will come up with something. 
Well, they haven't bothered up until now. So my, my I mean, response... When, when WebAssembly comes out, they can just replace JSX with C++ and they can render it directly to C. That's fine. Render React directly to C. That's fine. Then, then at that fast. point, then at that point, then you're allowed to complain about Electron. Oh, I'm going to complain all the nah, time. Not complain a, all the until time. then. I don't actually complain about Electron, but I will There are complain. a lot of people that are out there. A lot of hipster devs. Well, I think VS Code has proven VS Code has proven that Electron can be fast, so people need to stop. Whoever is building crappy stuff in Electron just needs to learn how to do better. Yeah, yes. don't at me because I would never yes, be able to do yes, it. Yes, Slack. Well, Slack <laughs> doesn't work that bad. I mean, it works well for what it is. It is pretty slow though. It, it is a very rudimentary it's, implementation. Why does it need of, to be fast? You're just conversating with people. It doesn't need to be super fast. True. It works well enough for what it is. That's true. But you can command R and it restarts. That's true. Kind of weird. That's true. Okay, let's keep going on the list. You mm -hmm. talked about your portfolio site a little bit. Let's move on to that one. Um, let's see. You don't want to peel it, sir. Oh, bike shedding. So this is actually a crossover event between two of our previous episodes. I read a thing on Twitter. This might be the most fire hot take I've ever read in my life. We need some hot take music. This person, I'm not even going to quote this Wait, person. Wait, no, pause I don't so that you can add out. some hot take music. I'll, I'll throw. No, no, pause. The most fire hot take I've ever heard in my life. Okay. This tweet said, Redux versus hooks is bike shedding. What, what? <laughs> so what they're trying to say is that what? The argument over the whether The argument or not is pointless. The argument is pointless. And the reason why this is such a fire hot take is that- Because they just rewrote Redux. Because whoever, whoever has a strong opinion about this yeah. will have a strong opinion that is not bike shedding, even though it actually is. Nobody, the, the people who think that this is not bike shedding are the people who make it bike shedding. It doesn't matter. Pick mm. one. Pick the one that works correctly for the use that you're doing it and just write it. Well, I think one of the things just to, to like kind of agree with you in a way, but say it a little bit more, is that any serious uh, attempt to build some of the features that Redux has with pure hooks and pure use reducer and you know whatever storing it in a context provider and all of that is going to result in you writing code. Yes, a lot, not a, not an insane amount of code, but you're going to write code. Yes. The thing is, is that. Redux realizes this because the dude who made Redux made use reducer. So they're starting to realize like, hey, maybe some of the things that are in the core of Redux can be removed and replaced with something similar to, you know, what's inside of React. The other argument is, is that if you don't know this, Redux can be used with any language and not just React. So if you're trying to, if you really were building a set of reducers and, you know, everything but the React Redux adapters, you can reuse all of that logic between a view app, between a React app, between anything, theoretically. Don't know if they're always directly portable, but the point is Redux at its core can be used with any language. So as they start to, they're rewriting React Redux with hooks. With hooks, yes. That's on their roadmap to complete to completely convert over to hooks at some point. But for React Redux, but... That, I think, will make Redux a lot better. I think yes. it will. It'll make it a lot cleaner and a lot simpler. Um, but people that say that, you know, just using use reducer and using a context provider is the same as Redux, forget that Redux has middleware. It has a whole middleware layer. They don't care about the middleware. The That's middleware is what makes Redux powerful, kids. 
That's where you get like the, the ability to write Redux stores to the, to the local storage. It's where you get the Redux dev tools. It's where you get Redux thunk. It's where you get like literally every plugin that's Redux dash something yeah, is but a freaking middleware. Yeah, but if you don't need any People, of that stuff, then it doesn't matter. I'm telling you, dude, when you start like... If you um, don't actually need to write to local storage, why do I care if it can write to local storage? Because I'm guarantee you're going to get... Well, I would say I have used... Um, Redux local storage and it is confusing and it's really annoying because it tries to write the whole store and you have to use like filtering functions to figure out what keys you want to write. So I don't know. I wouldn't say that that is particularly the best implementation of it, but you can write a custom middleware for Redux that takes just one key on one write of a Redux store of a, of a state change and writes that to local storage. But it will be a lot cleaner than taking that piece of data funneling it all the way through an action provider and then writing it to local storage and caching it in local storage. That is what a middleware is for. So I would, yeah, some people would say you don't need middleware, but do you need middleware inside of Express? Do you see why I'm saying that this is a super spicy, flaming hot take? Because you have just proven that no one can not have an opinion about this. Well, I, I think that, I just think that, uh, I think that people... See, this is my thing. I'm not so big on bike. We had the whole conversation about bike shedding. Like I have some opinions, but like if you think that it's the best thing for your application to make a custom Reduxy like implementation of context providers and use reducer and whatever on your own, go for it. If you might be right, <laughs> if you know your application theoretically, and if you're not good enough to build something from scratch, just use Redux there or use MobX or use whatever you want. But every single time that I have tried or someone on my team has tried to use context providers or not hooks, but at least context providers themselves, I think that it's led to more complicated code than Redux, but not, let me take that back. Not more complicated code than Redux, but more complicated code that we've wrote because Redux has complicated code in itself, but you move that complicated code into your application space. It's not a plugin anymore. So you make some of that complicated code exist in the code base that you manage. So you said code is for reading and writing and understanding for people, for humans. Yeah, but I mean, it's easier. The whole point of Redux is that it's easier to give someone a pattern, albeit the patterns that are in Redux, we've talked about, we had a whole episode about it. So this is a little bit of a feedback, but like, there is a lot of boilerplate in Redux that I think the re the modernization of Redux and Redux eight and above, with the whole hook stuff and the, re the you know the React Redux becoming hook based will clean up I think a lot of that because a lot of that boilerplate that makes the component work with like the map state to process map reducer all that crap is literally two arguments to a to a to an effect in hooks so it's like. I think it will clean it up and then the argument will become much more of a bike shedding point because I think that I think that since there's a lot of the features of React Redux in React with hooks itself, I think that adding re Redux will become smaller. Here's my hot take. I think Redux will become smaller of a footprint. It'll be faster, which it already is. They already, that's one of the things Redux 8 did by adding hooks is it became faster. And I think it will have less boilerplate. So then to your point, Redux 9 and 10, as it gets better and becomes more maintained and people start picking up more work on it and it starts, it will become more of a, more of a bike shedding argument because 
it'll just be two versions of the same thing because it'll just be hooks at that point. Yeah, but I think that ultimately, no matter what you tell me, the point of React is to not be as complicated as all of Redux because they're trying to build very small subsets of the things that were good about Redux. They're trying to build very small versions of those that you can use in very isolated use cases. But one way or another, Redux is still going to be Redux. And I don't think Redux was that big to begin with. It's like 12 kilobytes or whatever it is. I don't, don't quote I mean, me. It's I like, don't think that the size like 30 itself kilobytes. is, is the that problem. That argument is so insane to me because you end up getting 5 meg images that people won't minify on like oh, yeah. client code. Yeah, or yeah, you yeah. get or you get like, uh, you know, one 2x image is like 100 kilobytes. And you're like, okay, well, that one image on your page is the same size as the whole thing that runs our data layer. It's the entire code base. Sometimes. <laughs> but like... No, I mean, I've been asked to upload a literal a single image that's larger than your that JavaScript. larger yeah. than the entire JavaScript bundle. It's insane. Yeah, I mean, so, we, we've worked on websites where, you know, one of the pages of, uh, you know, the product pages is 30 megabytes. Well, yeah, the images are lazy loaded, but the entire footprint of the page is 30 megabytes. Yes. So please do not tell me that a, I'm, don't quote me on the size of it, but a 30 kilobyte Redux library is too much. Just GTFO, that's my bike shitting. That's my hot take. GTFO. GTFO. Nice. So. Red what, Wedding that. <sighs> Red wedding, your opinions. Hey, somebody, some people haven't seen it, okay? <laughs> some people haven't seen it. I don't know. I think to, to summarize that one, it, it really, the only people that know how an application should be built are the people that are maintaining it and building it. And often they make decisions in the beginning of a project that sometimes pan out and sometimes don't. But that's what technical debt is for. That's yes, why that's you keep working on your product. That's true. As some industries you know, that uh, I've worked for. That's not a priority. Sometimes they just stop. Sometimes things just get released and then, you know, they have a short life. And I mean, it doesn't really matter whatever garbage code you wrote. I mean, there was that story uh, of uh, Accenture getting sued over some work that they did a very poor job on, apparently. Well, That's a lot of money. $32 million. You could build, like... A, you I, could literally hire an entire team of people mm-hmm. and have them work for a year. To build yeah. you a better website than apparently the work that they got done I don't for understand. that amount of money. I, mean, like, I think that if you think about how much it costs to build a website of that size, it's actually not that much money if you're paying a vendor to build it for you. But you really have to question like $32 million, you can hire a dev team, a good one. You can hire for 100 like people. For three or four years. Yeah, you could hire 100 people for a year. Maybe, but... You gotta do the you gotta do the math on all their salaries, but um, you know, ten like ten really good devs could be a million dollars. So yeah, I guess you're right because ten million would be a hundred people. If I did the math correctly, hundred percent remote team, a hundred people. Yeah, you this could, has to be this has to be live exactly one year from today. You could definitely. I think you could do it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You and I together for six months could probably put out better work than, than Accenture did. I haven't actually seen what they did, but... Uh, well, there's a reason for that because it wasn't good enough No, like there live. was people that they posted like images or something of how it didn't scale and... Did, do. It didn't work on a tablet. Well, yeah, you know. But I, I think that, you know, given two years and $32 million, I mean... You can build whatever you want. You could literally build anything. Hertz, call us. <laughs> we'll 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 we'll, uh, we'll give you a uh, friends and family discounted consulting rate. We'll let you know. I thought about this. I don't think that like, yeah, they're suing Accenture, so they're going to try to recuperate their funds. But I mean, Accenture does have money, so they might pay them. But I don't unless they recuperate their funds. 
whoever gets that work next is not going to get $32 million and they're going to have to build the same website in a shorter amount of time. Yeah, but they're actually going to be, okay, call it 15 million. You think you and I couldn't do that for 15 million? Um, okay, so... <laughs> There's we, a lot more that goes into it. We, you you and I actually both have an idea of the kind of scale and the kind of team that you would need to build a site like this. Yeah, we. I would imagine that it would probably be... Probably be about 10 devs. or four, maybe probably be like two. Well, you have the to whole imagine, team together would be probably well, 10 to, to 15 people. You're comparing it to a certain website that we worked on. It has product listings. It has reservations. You have no idea what the ETL and background backend platforms were. We're building those. No, I know. I'm saying like comparing it to the one you've built. You have no idea what those backend platforms are like. On that particular website, we didn't build all of those. So, you know, you... I would imagine I was thinking about it the other day and I was walking through all the things that I think that Hertz would have. If you paid somebody like Accenture to do it, the price that I think that they would pay for like an equivalent site that we've worked on doesn't actually seem like that much money. 32 million might actually be the amount. But what I would say is Hertz, if you have 32 million dollars, just use that money to build your own team. Build your own, yeah. Of like 10 in-house. people or whatever, 20, 10 or even 30 people. <laughs> And then offshore a lot of work and you'll have the ability to own your own product. But yes, it, you have more liability because you have to maintain it yourself and you have to build a But you have team. more control and you know but it'll work. For the, from then on, you're not paying $32 million the next time someone builds you a website. Yeah, it's an investment you in the long term. You have a team that understands your product and you exactly. own your own business. Exactly. You know what? You don't even have to hire a team. Hire, you probably at minimum need to hire like two people, like manager level, mm. like VP, probably SVP level people. And then give them the the rest of the budget and say, build me this website. And if maybe you hire if you the right have, people, then they'll be able to do it for you. Maybe. But I mean, I think that it would be more wise in my mind if you have $32 million to build a website. It would be more beneficial long-term to hire someone who was really good at building stuff and then have them build out a team. That's what I'm saying. Have, give them free reign. I don't know if it's reign. two people. Well, but, I mean, if you're building an entire department like that, I mean, you would start obviously you would start with, with a like director of technology, yeah. and then you would hire like maybe four or five teams. It depends on how many. Like, if they have an ETL pipeline, you need like you need a data a data team to work on. You know, whatever. If all the orders go into Kafka or something, you need a team to build the data pipelines. You know, the Spark pipelines to get reports for the marketing people and I've whatever. Seen, I've seen one guy do all of that by himself and do a really good job. So. Well, you know, thirty-two million dollars is a lot of money. It's, it it's is. kind of the point that you and I are both making. At this it's the point. point we're trying to make, but I'm just saying, don't uh, until you've seen what they were asked to build. I wouldn't question whether or not you could do it for less because it's a big business. That is true. That the the things that I'm basing my assumptions on are the publicly reported statements of the shortcomings of the project. So the publicly well, you would definitely be able to build a front end site that is. You could definitely take whatever design their designers came up came up with, and build it cross browser. If you ignore any content management system, any back end, any ETL pipelines, anything, the one thing they should have got right is the front end cross browser, tablet, mobile. If you're just talking about the website, all of that should have been and, done, and no security problems. And maybe yeah, build your build your form so that they can't that they don't get SQL injected all over the place by script by the 14 year olds that are beating you in freaking PVP. Man, those they're kids, hacking into the website. Those kids, those kids, man. With the other hand, man. Craziness. Yeah. Yes. True. You there are a lot of uh I don't know what they used for the the front end, but there's enough if you know enough about CSRF tokens and you know enough about um 
SQL injection and you use an ORM that actually removes SQL statements from field names. No, they mentioned this in the article. Do you want to know what they were using on the front end? What? Angular 2. Angular 2 has CSRF and XSS protection. Angular how do you 1 mess that up? Literally, you just NPM install XSS and how you run you, that on every How do you field. mess that up for $32 million? I don't know. I mean, one would argue that uh, even if your front end is susceptible to XSS and CRF, CSRF filtering, you should be able to catch it. And I don't know about CSRF because you can cross-site forge, but like SQL injection and XSS filter on your back end, it doesn't matter if the front end doesn't work. The back end should not allow That's that true, to be That's true, but written. they should both be. They should both be, yes. They should both be. But like, one way or another, your back end should not allow those SQL injections to ever get ran on the server. That's true, but the part, that, the part that was reported was that the front end code was what allowed those those things to be exploited, independent of anything going on in the back end. So, Yeah, but whatever gets sent to the back end endpoints, whatever Angular is calling on its, uh, they call them services, whatever it's calling on its thing that it, it, it does the queries with, uh, whenever it hits those back ends, whatever input the back end takes should be stateless and it should automatically XSS filter out or remove or seek, you know, fix the SQL injection. There's other ways you can do it too. Like if, if you're running it on Amazon or whatever, you can run it through um, through one of their like, uh, their, what are they, I forgot what they call them, the WAFs, the Web Application Firewalls. They have XSS filtering directly in the WAF. So if you fronted your API with a WAF, and then on top of that, behind on the actual backend system, you weren't literally just taking whatever input the client gave you and writing it to the database or running it in the space of the backend language. Like if you were using Spring, like if you were building like a really, really big application for Hertz, it would be conceivable that your backend could be Spring. Spring MVC, or at least Spring Boot and Spring uh, REST, they have XSS filtering literally on the queries. You can't, No matter what you do, if you wrote code the back end the correct way, you can't SQL inject. So I don't know, man. I don't know how they messed that up. Oh. It boggles the mind that the level of incompetence that has been <sighs> reported, allegedly, we have to say yeah, that, to allegedly say reported in, in, in this lawsuit. But I mean, it's public record. You can go read it. It's basically yeah. a, a log of what not to do um, yeah, when you I mean, are taking on technology if you're getting, I would just say in conclusion that if you're getting paid $32 million, you should probably... Do a little bit of risk assessment on your... You should probably know what you're doing. You should probably get... What is that term? It's the SWOT list. You should probably look at that. There's Strengths, like, weaknesses, opportunities. Yeah, there's like a SWOT for APIs. The, the, I, I just saw one today. Opportunities, threats? Threats, something like that. I saw it in a documentation and it was like, hey, make sure you're not susceptible to sequel and <laughs> yes. It's like literally a checklist. Don't, the don't, SWOT let, checklist. don't let people hack your site through this input field. Yeah, I mean, that would probably be a good idea. But you know... Some, probably a good idea. Anyway, that's... that's uh, a hot item that's, that's been going on these days that kind of uh, hits a little close to home f- for you and I both. It was like, how? How on earth? How? I mean, uh, you know, you never know. But, you know, it just depends on how the projects ran. And uh, I think that it should never have happened. But, I mean, you never know. A lot of those companies, they sub out work. So they kind of just see what comes back, I guess. I yeah, don't know. They don't do it in-house. They don't have... And I mean, that's thing they don't... I don't want to like say things I don't know because I don't work there, but like a lot of those companies are built around offshoring work. And the only way that you can validate whether or not the work is good is if you code review it yourself in-house, which means that you have to have developers in-house. But if you're a bunch of producers, essentially. You're a bunch of consultants, which consultants Accenture is. And a bunch of uh, technical managers, like 
I don't really want to knock them. Like, I don't want to. Like, well, there's the, the thing is that you're absolutely right that that might be something that's happening. They're still responsible for the end product. Well, you should. What I'm getting at is that no matter if you're, if you're offshoring work, you should have someone closer to the business that is validating whether or not the work is good. Yes. And if, you, if you're a consultant, then you should pay an outside consultant to validate your work that you're passing off to your client just for the sole purpose of mitigating risk, which obviously they didn't do and they're yeah. getting sued. So it, that's why you mitigate risk by having code reviews. And if, you are not, if you're not in the business of having a development team to code review your own code, then you as a contractor should pay a third party to do a risk assessment on what you're getting from your vendor. Yes. That's why they have other companies. There's literally companies. Their sole job is to do risk assessment on code. No, that stuff happened. So I don't know. Moving on. Please don't at me. Definitely at Craig. <laughs> uh, next one I have is, oh, desk. The desk talk from our last episode, Con Time from two weeks ago. So we talked very briefly about me wanting to come up with a solution for my desk situation. I think I might have found it. Uh, here at home or at work? Here. So you're not going to have that like... Uh, I'm not going to have that giant standing motorized whatever the heck that I was talking about last week. I found the solution. No, I mean, right now you have like one of those tables you have. Right like now I only have a folding picnic table. Yeah, you got it like Costco or something, right? Uh, it's a plastic picnic table. I got it for $50 at Costco. It's great size wise and it's very sturdy. The problem with it is, is that it has a crease right down the middle. Yeah. Where do, you put, where do you put your keyboard? Right in the middle. Right down the middle. Mm-hmm. Guess what doesn't sit flat? Keyboard, no, my keyboard would, going would, right down the have, middle. I would not have survived one day with it. It's super annoying. So I actually have a mouse pad sitting underneath it on one side. I would get like five mouse pads. And so I'm like, I'm, like I'm a little bit off, which that goes back to our ergonomics talk. It's it's not the right, it's not even. Anyway, I think I may have found a desk. Skywalking but, on those ergos. Oh, <laughs> that's good follow up. I did it. That's good follow up. The desk I found is one from Ikea. It is called the Freddy desk. F-R-E-D-D-E. Freddie. Where's my cell phone? I don't. I, oh, okay, cool. The Freddie desk. So I was going to Google it. The thing about this desk, I, I can bring it up on the screen too. The, then I got to like turn around. It's weird. The, the thing about this desk is that the reason why I think it'll work is that it has a shelf that goes kind of up and over. Oh, this is a lot. Right? And so... There's this a shelf. Is a, this that's, is a lot. I mean, it does have top, your speaker stands. I see that. Right. And it and it's got the option of the speaker stand. So is that I think a cup that, holder? Yes. People use those for cup holders. But also you can just throw like USB drives in them. <laughs> look, at, look at this picture. They have like little tiny Bose speakers there. Like, no, dude. We want no, Yamaha dr- monitors there. Yeah, those monitors, HSAs. man, those are not real monitors. It actually has hooks for headphones. You can have three sets of headphones. Yes, that's true. Although the oh, thing and it is, it has a though, computer stand in the bottom left corner. Yes. Did you, can put, you can conveniently put boxes on it too. Yes, that's true. So as Greg looks at this, the, the things that stand out to the, for me about this desk are that um, this big shelf kind of hutch thing that goes over where the monitors are. There's going to be a couple of different options for me to place my actual studio monitors, my big old speakers. Um, so they can be kind of up and over like on top of where the monitors are or, or there are these additional shelves that stick out the sides as well. <laughs> This picture is one of those like 1995 joysticks that used to play like Yes, um, that's true. Anyways, go on. Yes, that's true. So one of these options with the speakers is bound to work out for what I need it to do. It's got to work. One of them's got to work. The space underneath the hutch where the, the monitors go, I've seen several individuals who have the setup that I have with two 27-inch monitors. And they fit in there very nicely. I also saw one person who has two 32-inch monitors. 
Oh, this is where you get inside that space as well. So I have kind of 32 inch monitors are huge. I, I could theoretically feature proof myself by getting this desk. So I think that this is going to work relatively budget friendly. I mean, it is Ikea after all. So I'm going to check that out in the coming weeks here and I will follow up. It seems like you should go to Ikea this weekend. I think I'm going to do that, but it's not going to be this weekend. What are, what are you doing with your life? Because it's actually really close to my office. So I'm going to go after work. Oh, so you're going to go sooner than that? Yeah, I'm probably going to go... Wait, how? There's actually, Ikea I don't know. by I'm your right. office? The Burbank one. Oh, I forgot where your office is. I was thinking your office was in Santa Monica. Never mind. No, yeah, the Burbank one. So I'm going to go there after work one day and pick it up. Um, and then the other thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to build a keyboard tray that slides out underneath. I'm going to put my MIDI keyboard under there. So I have my mm. typing keyboard on top and then my playing music keyboard underneath. And it'll be, it'll be a fantastic, beautiful setup. And it's going to be great. I'm very excited about it. So hoping that that works out for us. Yeah, you'll finally upgrade from a, you know. From a freaking picnic table. Picnic table. What are you can do with the picnic table? Just throw it on the uh, street. I don't know. Do you want it? What do I need it for? I mean, do you have picnics? Um, no. Not in my backyard. I actually don't know what I'm going to do with it. Maybe we'll do Just a leave it on the street. Just leave it. <laughs> someone will take it here. Yeah, somebody probably will. Somebody will get some use out of it. Okay. Very last one. I love the names at Ikea. Soderham. Clab. Girton. You know, they're like... Uh, Besta. Uh, Compliment. I read an article somewhere that said that the names are actually uh, uh, Swinglish. They are fake Swedish words. What? They've been make, tricking us forever. They're not actual Swedish words. They're what? made up Swedish words to sound vaguely English so that English speaking people I'm feel comfortable. I'm on m2.ikea.com. I'm on mobile two. Oh man. Equivalent. I wonder if that's just like a different region or something. Dude, that's what CDNs are for. Anyways, go on. Anyway, so we'll, You don't need to have custom domain names. You have CDNs. I mean, maybe they want to. Maybe they want that extra fault tolerance. I don't know. I'm going to put my phone down. Yeah, you should do you that. just hurt my, my brain. Okay, so that's the desk. The last one on the list here yeah. uh, is a little bit of dev tooling follow-up from our Edge Case Machine episode. Gulp 4 recently came out. I don't know about recently. But since we talked about... Since I was using Gulp, yeah. Since, since you were using Gulp. <laughs> also, since we talked about Gulp. Well, I, I knew it was coming. I remember hearing about it coming out a while ago. Yes. Yeah. What did you hear about this Gulp? Because this is the kind of thing that you and I actually both worked in kind of gulp setups mm -hmm. before and it was kind of part of that dev tooling talk that we had gulp four to me from what i've seen has been kind of a pretty big change to what it was before and i wonder if part of that is like trying to exist in this webpack world and they had to feel like they play catch up i don't know what do you think um they didn't really change the biggest thing that they did is that they they didn't really change the way that tasks work as far as i can tell what they did and what I remember them saying a while ago that they were going to do is that they added, you know, gulp sequence no. that allow, well, gulp sequence essentially allows you to run like, like one of the things with gulp is that you can, you can do like gulp and I don't know if it was the grunt was like this, but you can chain your tasks together so that when you say like gulp dot start something, the first argument to gulp dot start is a string can be a string. It's like an overloaded method, but it can be a string that is another task. So you can say, essentially, before running this task that's about to happen, run this other task. And it's really useful for like, um, say you were doing JavaScript compiling 
and you wanted to make, and all you were doing was just make a really simple gulp file. All you're doing is just gulp scripts. That's all that it runs. Gulp default is just scripts. But you want to delete the dist folder before you compile your scripts because you want to make sure that there isn't anything left over. Like if you delete a script file, there's not going to be like another JavaScript file, whatever. So you can say like run clean before you run scripts. So you can say gulp dots. So like the, the task scripts is gulp dot start clean as a string, comma, a, a, a ta- like a callback. That's what it used to be. I'm trying to like not talk about gulp four yet. So what they what you could do in that slot is you could actually run a sequence of tasks using gulp sequence. So what you would say is gulp dot source, paren like the, the function opening gulp dot sequence, and then you can list a certain set of tasks with a certain syntax. So anything that's a string will run, I believe, in parallel, and then anything that's in an array will run in sequence. Mm. So you can say the clean is really important that it runs first. So you have that one run first and then have the other And then you have an array mm. that runs okay. script styles, templates or whatever, if it's handlebars or whatever. And then it will always make sure it fully cleans before and then it runs all three of those tasks at the same time because technically scripts don't have any dependence on styles, don't have any right. dependence on templates. So, and then at the end of it, you can run something like, I don't know, asset copy, I don't know, whatever. You can run something at the end. So gulp sequence allows you to interweave in and out of Tasks that run in parallel that it waits for that are blocking, and then an array of tasks that are run in sequence, in par- actually in parallel, sorry, in sequence or parallel. It essentially allows you to interweave between those things, right? So Gulp four added in a version of Gulp sequence just natively. Oh, in the box. In the box, it's Gulp sequence and Gulp dot. It's Gulp dot sequence and Gulp dot parallel. I believe they gotta be doing something with like promises or something in there, right? It seems like yeah, they're doing something with an event queue. I don't know some some situation. But they did that. And then the other thing that it does is in gulp three and below, you would define a task like gulp start and then you would name the task. I might be getting the method signature wrong. If, if I'm wrong, it's just because I haven't used gulp in a long time. You name the task and then you name. Do you pass it like a set of like a config or something, like an object? And, mm. and then you have like another callback on top of that? Something, I don't know. No, it's, it's very like old school JavaScript. It's like gulp.start task name, preconditions callback. I don't know, whatever it Something is. Something like that, yeah. It's yeah. an overloaded method, but whatever, you name the task, you def- tell it what other tasks it runs before it, and then you return a callback, and then the callback can have, can just be in parallel, or it can have a CB and be async. Mm. So it's like, it's traditional, like, JavaScript from around that time. Gulp was pretty cool. Like, it had some cool stuff that it did. Still does. Um, but I think what they realized is that there's other things that you can do with Gulp besides compiling CSS and like webpacking type stuff. Um, you can literally orchestrate, like when I worked on a really big project, I orchestrated like, you know, running AEM and running Docker from Gulp, which you'd yeah. be like, why the heck did you do that? But it's like, well, once you, once you start orchestrating the tasks, you can tie them together. Nowadays, you would probably just use the package JSON scripts, but and some shell scripts, but like, I don't know, you can, you can basically orchestrate and link tasks together and then run them as groups. And then you can do things like, I don't know, figuring out what server AEM is running on by polling and seeing if 4502 is on or something. And then that's a precondition task. And then you'd say like, okay, then start AEM sync, which is like a, you know, a library that does work with Gulp, but is also actually doesn't have to have Gulp, but basically like slings things over to sling. Yeah. If you have a, uh- 
multiple apps that rely on other, other local host apps. Like if you have mm-hmm. your AEM app that's pointing to some other app at that port 4000 or something, the way that you used to orchestrate all those together was with Gulp. Like that yeah. was the one way to do it. It was a way to do it. I don't know if it was the best way to do it, but that was the way I did it at the time. But like I had like a ton of tasks that would run and it really like... I don't know. I've always with back to the tooling thing. I've always had trouble figuring out like what or had like different attempts at trying to make it so that for any level of developer working on your project, there was a way to get things done. That's the goal. That's yeah, the goal that's of all task runners. It's the goal of Webpack. It's the goal of everything. Like someone is going to go in and configure the crap out of Webpack, configure the crap out of Gulp, configure the crap out of something. But at the end of the day, when someone runs a command that is super freaking simple, like Gulp serve. The website turns on, browser sync turns on, files get built, assets get watched, images get copied over, and boom, they're looking at the website. Hot That's the reload. whole point. Well, Give me all that hot reload, baby. Hot reload came with Webpack, but the hot reload is like, I mean, basically browser sync is the same thing. It runs a server and it serves the files in the disk folder. Great. Webpack does the same thing, except it takes everything that is compiled by your Webpack app and it runs it in memory on Express or whatever, or something like Express, some HTTP server. And then it's basically serving the files directly from a stream. That's what that's what Hot Reload does. So, whatever. The point is, nowadays, like, I try really hard to make it so that if you're working on a back-end application, you can type npm run start, yarn start, whatever you want, and no matter how complicated the actual command is, if it's, like, serverless and it's, like, you know, serverless start, port whatever, config whatever, I don't know, all this crap, it will, like, service offline, It'll just, it'll be yarn start. No one has to think about what it yeah. is. It's running on 4,000, great. If you want to change the port, good luck, figure it out. You know, junior dev, you don't need to change the port, just run the shit. Good job. Because the ports work, right? Yes. And then if you go into the client, it would be yarn start, but that's starting Gatsby or next or whatever. So the point is like, whatever you do, you want to make it so that the command the person is running is super, super simple. Just start, serve, whatever. So the whole point of these orchestration tools is that sometimes there's more <laughs> behind the scenes than just yarn start or an NPM run start. That's what those tools do. So getting to what Gulp 4 adds, it adds the sequence stuff, which is really powerful. And I would say, I would argue, sometimes more powerful. Like Webpack is not designed to run things that aren't related to bundling. Right. They're not, it's not designed to run anything that's outside of your JavaScript bundle. Yeah, you're right. Outside of the JavaScript bundle, the CSS bundle, the, the, the you know, with, um, what is the HTTP? The, they're sorry, like the, the, HTML Webpack plugin, like anything that's related to like bundling and it's, it does everything that like Usemin used to do and like Gulp Usemin. It's designed to hand you like just one bundle, of one web bundle. But it's not, it's not really designed to. It's not, it's not going to be able to hook a bunch of bundles yeah. together. Yeah. Like it doesn't, it doesn't run your, it doesn't run your unit tests. Yeah. Yarn, well, they would say like NPM run tests. Like what are you talking about? Well, before you really had like, I mean, you always had NPM run test, but like, I, let me just tell you from experience, sometimes those tasks that you're running are not as simple as like a one line, essentially what an NPM run task is, is a bash script. Sometimes they're not, as, they're more complicated than a bash script. Yes, that's true. And that's why they have things like, uh, there's like an NPM sequence equivalent, like that allows you to like run two tasks at once. Like there's all these things that try to like make gulp simpler, but I often come back to it when I have to do something really weird. Like, you know, you're working on a Shopify site and you maybe, I don't know, someone asks you to upload assets from a Shopify site to 23 different websites. And you use the Shopify uh, syncing library to send things to, 
you know, the servers, but you got to like swap configs and be like, well, now you're uploading for site one. Now you're uploading for site two. Don't and ask why this like, happen. You got like CP inside the server and yeah, like do gotta, all this stuff. Well, you you're, gotta, not gonna, like, you're not going to be able to do locally. any of that in Webpack. Build export templates that are used to like run the gulp task, like to run the actual individual task. Like I want to upload to server A. Well, you know what I got to do? I got to take a template that defines how the, you know, the Shopify config is. I got to change some environment variables in it from a environment file. And I got to be like, well, now I'm on site one. Boom, change the config, upload. Well, you know, that maybe one would ask, what the hell are you doing that for? Well, you know what? I was asked to do that. Gulp was the perfect tool. Yep. So. And then you got to like, you got to do like file invalidations on S3 bucket. Yeah. After all that. You, I mean, it's super easy with uh, the node library for um, AWS, but like, where are you going to join that code together and be like, okay, well, I uploaded files there, but then now I got to clear the CDN. That's just a simple, well, Greg, it's just a simple query to the, you know, uh, S3 API. Great. Well, you know, you can put that inside of a shell script. You can try, I mean, you can try to run it from the NPM run command. You can literally write a shell script called invalidate CDN, you know, bin slash invalidate.sh. You could run that. Or you could just pull in the AWS API, write a config, and then boom, you're calling it. Or there's probably a Gold plugin for it. Yeah, definitely. So I don't know. Um, some of the bundling stuff I think is, uh, you know, don't at me, but I think it's maybe not as uh, useful as Webpack. Webpack is insanely crazy and, and hard to configure, but it does bundle better. I agree with you. For certain things, but there's sometimes that it doesn't. Like it... You know, it works, the Webpack works really well with like the React, View, modern ecosystem with Babel. But, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes something simpler is better. And you can, with Gulp, you can literally just execute Webpack from the, the Node API. Or, you know, you can be like, well, why the hell? I mean, I often ran into this problem where it's like, there's all these other things that a project is doing. But then one of the things it does is a Webpack bundle. And you're like, why are you mixing the two? Well, it's like, because Webpack's not going to clear my CDN. <laughs> But Gulp can. That's true. So I don't know. Getting back, I kind of went off a tangent because, you know, I've spent quite a time. I have a plugin for Gulp that I wrote a long time ago. Oh, tell us about this plugin. Called Gulp Load Runners. And it was because at the time I was working with uh, a very, very smart technical director that, you know, just really wanted to use Grunt. And he had used or helped build, I don't remember, the um, Grunt plugin that was like Grunt, Grunt, Grunt Load runners or something like that. And it essentially created it. So remember when earlier when I was talking about all the tasks that run in parallel or in sequence? Yes. All that stuff that gets passed to Gulp sequence. You can actually, in my library, I actually wrote the ability for you to define the connection between all of the individual tasks that you wrote in a YAML file. So oh, so can, like a config for it? Just a config. So you Ooh. can say like default becomes the default task and it runs build. Build is... You know, it does clean and then array bracket, script, styles, whatever, and array bracket. And then like copy assets. Copy like assets and all. And basically you build all the tasks as tasks and then you join them all together with the YAML file and there's an interesting way that it can define a global config and then it can create separate configs per yes, task. Per it's task. a little bit. You can define individual tasks themselves in mm-hmm. the YAML, and then you can also group them together with the YAML. It's actually very flexible, nice little little setup. I've used it a couple of times. It's very good. I found some problems with it that I've been thinking about lately. There, there's a lot of problems with like async configs. Like uh, one of the problems I have with it early on is that it iterate. It basically takes a global config, and then it iter and then it combines that config, and then it iterates over all the configs in a very specific folder. I think I'm pretty sure you can change the argument for, but it 
basically says, oh, all my configs are over here. And it'll iterate over every file in that config and load the config and then merge it with the default config. But the problem is you can't reference like the config for scripts in the config. Well, it's actually not that big of a deal for that particular case, but you can't reference like, say you define a bunch of glob paths that you're using for copy. You can't reference those in watch. So you can't use the same oh. glob pass across the two. You'd have to put the config for the glob pass in the global config and create another variable higher up because you can't cross pass because you never know when you don't know the watch point, or the, yeah. the copy kind of, kind of like configs going to be loaded. So I know things like that. And um, one of the reasons why I'm saying this about Gulp Blood Runners is that looking at Gulp 4, they changed it so that instead of defining tasks by saying gulp.task or gulp.start or whatever it is, I think it's gulp.task, task name, whatever, callback, they're all just functions now. So it's so much cleaner. Yeah, it's that's like, really nice. And then you export, you do module.export scripts equals a function, and it knows that any key name, I think, on the gulp file that's exported is a task. Oh, that's If it's good. a function. Yeah, I think it, like, yeah. they, they type check and they're like, well, is that a variable or is it actually a script? Or is it a, is it a function? And if it's a function, it becomes a task. So you like write these functions, which is one of the reasons why I created Gulp Load Runners is that back in the day when people used to write a lot of Gulp files, they were they were all in one file. So you would have like this 400 line Gulp file if you were doing something really complex and you couldn't, you could break them up. But it, it then when I did that, I was like, okay, well, I first started by just creating a folder called tasks and saying, Grunt did this a lot where it has like a folder called tasks or whatever. And then you would say like, you know, because Grunt is, was literally just a JSON. So it would just merge all the JSONs together and then run. Yeah. Um, but Gulp doesn't work that way. So you had to like import each file. And then as it imported, the global Gulp context was passed to each of them and it would attach tasks to each one. So there's like a function. So basically you would, you would import a file called like scripts. And then that would be a function that takes in a key called Gulp and then creates a Gulp task. And then it, everything stays on the same Gulp context, which it might have done anyways because... Node uses singletons for imports, but whatever. Um, you pass it in, it attaches the same gulp thing, and then it has an extra task. Um, but that doesn't really isn't always that great because then you got to pass configs, you got to pass error handlers, you got to pass all these things, and you'll see like gulp load runners. If you look at it, it has all that, and it also has the ability to do gulp load plugins, which is like a another library somebody used created where any any plugin that's gulp dash something will get automatically imported as whatever you call it, like dollar sign dot clean or dollar sign dot uh, if, you know, like for gulp if. But whatever, they had like a whole process around naming the plugins and then you would be able to import them and you could define like overrides where you'd be like, you know, there used to be gulp clean and then everybody's like, well, you should just use RimRaf and then they switched to like whatever the current one is, Dell, I think it is, because they created like a very simple, someone created a very simple node library for deleting files. And they just said, well, you shouldn't use RimRaf, you shouldn't use Gulp clean, you should just use Dell. And then everybody uses Dell. But Dell is a function. It's not really designed to only be used with Gulp. So then you look at it and you're like, okay, well, shouldn't Gulp be more just functional so that it has a bunch of functions that are defined everywhere? And then you import those functions. And then, you know, they, they also talk in their documentation about using Babel with Gulp so that you can use import-export or use ESM or something to make you know, import export work. And if you do that, the gulp file becomes really clean because then you can say like you have a bunch of files that have tasks if say your tasks are complicated enough and then you can import them all into the single gulp file and then just export them by name. So you're basically like importing the actual style task and then you export it as export 
equals styles, style task or whatever. It's like goal components. It becomes like it becomes more ES6. Like, yes, that's with true. Import exports or module that exports and require. But the point is, is that I built Goldblood runners before that was a thing, and what they did actually makes it easier to and much simpler to build a library like Goldblood runners with less code. I mean, the whole library is only like maybe a hundred lines of code, but you know, I don't know. No one's really used it. I haven't really seen a lot of people download it. I haven't heard any feedback. Three stars. You have three stars on GitHub, Greg. Out of five? No, like, like you know how people start. Yeah, well, look who they are. It's probably you and like two other people. I didn't I know. start. Do you want me to start? No, no, just, I don't care. Just look at who it is and it's probably. Oh, I just started. You have four stars now. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know. People never, people apparently probably didn't see it. I wrote it like four years ago. Oh, the documentation yes. isn't that yes. great. The four people that started are <laughs> basically the four people that used it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I was quite impressed by it. I liked it a lot and it helped me. Uh, there's a couple things that it, it needed to be improved on, but since I didn't really see any traction, I didn't, and I stopped in Fortnite. And honestly, I stopped using Gulp for a lot of things. There's yeah, that's true. A lot of other tools that kind of serve the same purpose that you know are not. They're they're very opinionated about the streaming and like how it concatenates and creates files and does the FS vinyl streams and all that stuff. And you know, I mean, it is what it is. But like, there's I don't use it for the vinyl portion of it anymore, where I'm taking files and streaming them into places. I just use it more like it's a function that can actually hold a task that I want to do and then I can join them all together if I do use it. Um, a lot of the times I just use shell scripts. I don't know. Yeah, that seems to be a thing these I days. I used make the other day for a project. What, what? Why? Because it's dope. Okay. It's like a it's like a shell script that, you know, you can you can create multi-line short shell scripts and then you can you can run tasks by name yeah. and it knows the names of them. Make is pretty dope. Anyway, gulp load runners... We'll have a link to it in the show notes. Greg's contribution to open Please don't yell at me. I wrote it uh, four years ago. Four last years commit ago. was three years ago. Okay. Well, I mean, it was created like four years ago. But uh, it's been working. Was, I mean, it's been I, working. You don't have any open or closed issues. You've just I got your one it. original yeah. PR and that's really it. So It doesn't have very good test coverage. Don't, you know, don't be angry. Um, you know what? If you're out there and you're using Gulp and you're using Gulp load runners... Do some good open sorcery and send Greg a PR for some unit test coverage. It actually, the way that it's written, it would be really hard to test. That's why I didn't write any tests, but well, I maybe, don't know. All right. And you know what? If you're out there. Proves it needs a refactor because it, it, it's kind of hard to test it. Just, just, it, just fork it. Just fork it. Also, 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 this is an excellent example of one of your fantastically written readme. That was when it was prime readme. If you want to know is, what it was like. This is an amazing readme. This is exactly what you want when you write readme. You've got like a document tree in here. You've got like, yeah. you've got like an example of a YAML file. You've got your exports. you got all kinds of stuff. In I was here, trying man. to, the thing great. was. This is fantastic It's stuff. actually a lot of writing. If you look at any other readme on any other open source project, there's nowhere near as much writing. You've got a contribution guide like, oh man. I know, got, I was trying to take it seriously. You the got time. the little NPM, like the, uh, the little NPM uh, banner. Yeah, top. I was trying to I was trying to be real about it. Oh man. It's good stuff, man. It's good stuff. We'll have a link. Yeah. In the show notes. You know um, what else are we gonna have a link for, Greg? Do you have a do you have a do you have a pick that we can link? Oh yeah. So sort of going back to Destiny, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into the same amount of talk. But there's this podcast that I found um really late in its life called Crucible Radio that I was, like I said, I was trying to get better. Excellent name. Anyway. I was trying to listen to it and, uh, you know, get get better at Crucible. And I realized that, the, that it is a pretty cool uh, podcast. 
And then like the the thing was is that, you know, when I started listening to it, they were on like episode 196, I think, because they had like two episodes in a row about getting better at Crucible and they kind of summarized a lot of the things that they've talked about in the past about like, you got to listen to the podcast, but if you want to, uh, you know, they, they talked about a lot of things to get better at it. But then what they realized was that they were kind of like, they kind of didn't want to do only Crucible because all of them were doing different things. Some of them weren't even playing Destiny. But they had like a really good rapport with each other. They're actually pretty funny. And a couple of them are, um, I think a few of them have like improv backgrounds. So they do like a lot of like variety type stuff. So they basically rebuilt the podcast to not be related to Destiny, but kind of have the same theme, which is like hacking on yourself to get better, playing games. They do like variety stuff. They talk about all kinds of things, but I think they're pretty cool. And I wanted to point it out because they have a new, I mean, they have plenty of followers. At one point in time, I think they had, I don't know how many listeners they have, but they had a lot of listeners per week, like hundreds of thousands listening to Christopher Radio. I don't know, maybe not that many, but they had a lot of people listening to it. But they basically just rebranded themselves. They're not Crucible Radio anymore. Even though it says that in iTunes, they're trying to figure, I guess they're trying to figure out how to like change the name of the podcast. So they haven't actually changed the name yet, but they're like... Yeah, I mean, that kind of seems like a smart thing to do because they don't want to lose their listeners. They want to make sure that enough people that listen to the show realize that they have a new show and then maybe they'll create a new podcast. I don't know what they're going to do. But but it's still called Crucible Radio right now. No, they're changing. It's called Everyone, at Everyone. It's, it kind of plays on the Slack at everyone when you're in. Oh, like at here, at channel. At here, at channel, at everyone. So they, I don't know, they uh, they created a new one. Um, I think I think it's pretty cool. They're, they're pretty neat. I mean, the first episode is a little bit, um, you can tell they haven't gotten their groove quite yet with the new content. Like, I, I don't want to say that like too strongly because I'm not like the world's greatest podcaster, but like they're, there, there's a lot of production value put into it, and I think the show's gonna be pretty good. So, um, they're, they're, it's their quest to have fun, learn, and grow. This week, the guys play a fun game to introduce themselves and discuss their current mission at hand: finding new jobs. So, like, they're ch- they're chit chatting about, um, you know, like making decisions in their lives and like finding new work. And you know, one of them's a chef. I didn't even know that. I was listening to it, and I was like, oh, he's like a head chef, and then one of them works in software and then one of them is kind of like, just has a lot of skills and I don't know what his job is. They were talking about it, but I think it's pretty good. That's check pretty it out. good. We will chat. We'll have a link for that in yeah. the show notes. It's another good, it's another good pod. And I think you should listen to it specifically, which is why I wanted to mention it because I think that they have like a lot of um, cool ideas and they've been trying, they've been making a podcast for 200 episodes. And I think as I, as I understand the way they explain it, they got better over time and they, uh, what is their definition of better? Like they got better at being content creators and they got better at, at being, um, they have like a lot of, uh, production value put into certain things. Like they like act voices out and do, I don't know. I don't, I'm not saying I want to do that, but like, they're just, they just seem like they got better at putting a show together and they had a lot of followers and they have a lot of guests and a lot of the really good players like true Vanguard for, um, destiny go on there and, you know, I don't know. They have a lot of people that went on there. But now that they're switching to something completely different, it's interesting. It's a new chapter in their life and it's just to see how a podcast would transition. Yes, a lot of, there types. are a lot of podcasts that we listen to that have gone through transitions. There are podcasters that 
I particularly like to listen to that have been on several different shows over the years. So yeah. And it's hard when like the only, for some of your listeners, the only thing you have is like your iTunes connect account or whatever it is, the iTunes one, I don't know how Apple works, but like you have that account and then all of a sudden, you know, you're switching to a new account and nobody knows who you are and you have a completely different kind of content. So I don't know. It's just an interesting... Yeah, it's a, it's the kind of thing that you would definitely need to be very clear about communicating to the listeners. And you'd have to be talking about it for like probably four or five episodes they before been, you yeah. actually end. And that's the only way that you, Dave, are... Yeah. And you're still going to lose a ton of people. You're going to lose too, a ton of people because so. they might not be interested in what you're talking about anymore. They were like there for destiny. And I learned some stuff from them and... Uh, and uh, I liked, I mean, I can still go listen to their whole back catalog, but a lot of the first 120 episodes of the show were from Destiny 1, and they talk a lot, they used to talk a lot about the specific meta, Kyle, you know, they talked about all the specific. Kyle, go listen. Yeah, the specific stuff that they used to do that, and then um, it was pretty cool because the last few episodes of Crucible Radio, they kind of like brought a bunch of guests on and kind of like talked about their their progress, and they had two episodes in particular where they talked about how to get good at Crucible. That's pretty cool. I'm going to go back and listen to some of the older ones, like back around in the in the season-ish that we're in, so it's relevant, but I want to hear what else they talk about. That's cool. We'll have a link to that. I I, I want to check that out. That sounds really good. Yeah, that's why I wanted to mention it. I feel like you would you would find it cool. That's cool. Uh, I have two picks. Ooh, that's against the rules. You've had two picks before. One pick only. No, I'm just kidding. Go no, you've it. had two picks. First pick is a show from Netflix. Of course it is. Uh... There's a show that came out recently, but I'm a little late to. It is a show called Love, Death, Robots. I've heard of this. Haven't watched it. Love, Death, Robots is... The showrunner is Tim Miller, who directed the first Deadpool movie. Mm -hmm. The executive producer is David Fincher. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Right? So these two people put together... David Fincher made... What's that show? The weird show? David Fincher made House of Cards. Oh, I'm thinking of the wrong person. David Fincher made House of Cards and, oh, I don't know, Fight Club? Like... (laughs) I mean, yeah, I know he's famous. That, I don't, that I don't David know Fincher. People. I don't know people. Come on now. Anyway, I don't know people. I don't care about Anyway, people. you put the pedigrees of these two individuals together and you kind of get actually a pretty good idea of what this show is about. So it's not an actual like episodic show. It's more of an anthology, kind of like how Black Mirror is, where the episodes aren't related to each other. Yeah. Um, but each, each episode is actually kind of a short story uh, in animated form. So all the episodes are animated. Well, except for one. One is there's crossing one that, the fourth wall. There is there's one that is ninety percent live action, but there's a big chunk of it that's animated. The rest of them are one hundred percent animated. Anyway, that's like the fifth wall, isn't it? Something like that. Third wall. But these uh these short stories, these animated short stories, are there's this combination of like Black Mirror ish futurism, but then there's like the animation, and then like there are different episodes are animated in different styles. So some of them are super photorealistic. All right, there's one episode where there is an actress from Orange is the New Black who her likeness is animated in the show. It's animated specifically to look like her. Yeah. So it's her in the show, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are other styles that are more cartoony. Uh, there's one where like some vampire gets brought up from the dead, but it's like a kind of a newspaper cartoon style animation. So it's kind of like odd. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the episodes are extremely violent. Very, very violent. Um, but it's kind of interesting to juxtapose that kind of cartoony newspaper style animation with like super violent action. Hmm. It kind of reminds me of uh, like Samurai Jack. A little bit like that, yes. Yeah, yes, that very was similar. super violent, yes. but also really dope show. Yes, so there's a lot of really amazing animation in it. So if you're if you're a fan of animated television at all, um, even I different am. styles, uh, mm-hmm. definitely worth checking out. 
the short story aspect of it, I think is really cool because the episodes are only 15 minutes each. Like you could go through the whole season in, in probably one day if you want, if you really wanted to veg out. Um, but it keeps it kind of keeps it moving. Mm-hmm. Right. There's usually just like one, one twist in the episode. Cause that's all you have time for really. Yeah. And then you see the, the beautiful animation. There's one in there. That's kind of a little bit spider verse mm, I love the spider verse. That's kind of has the, the, the stippling for the depth and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed that show quite a bit. Finished uh, watching it this weekend. Just, the, just watching it for the animation is great. And some of the ideas behind the short stories make you think a little bit. So, well, I'm going to make it my new exercise show. That's definitely a good exercise show because you can kind of like... three shows would be the 45 minutes over. Maybe 45 minutes. Yeah. 30, 35 to 45 minutes. Yeah, it'd be really good. I think you'd enjoy it, so... And I could watch two of them in 35 minutes or three in 45 because that always motivates me to work out more. Worth checking out. Because then you get that... You get your halfway through that other show and you got to work out the 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and this takes us to our next book. If you need to do this workout and you want to watch the show but you don't want it to be like super loud when somebody gets like cut in half by Did you buy a new giant monster... Buy a new pair of headphones. Where are they? Why didn't you tell me They're this? in my backpack over there. What kind are they? They are the Sony. Oh, yeah, the, the, the Sony crazy uh, USB-C Bluetooth ones? Yes. The actual name, I'm going to say this so yeah, everybody knows how ridiculous it is. Yeah. It's the WH-1000XM3. Mm-hmm. Right? So these are Sony's uh, answer to the Bose QC35. The noise cancel, active noise canceling. I've heard they're even 100% better. 100% wireless. I've heard they're really, really good. They're fantastic. Hmm. They're really, really good. So I'm coming from a pair of the Bose QC25s. That's the wired the, ones. Those are the wired ones. Yeah, I had I a little those. adapter that made them wireless, which got me hooked on the wireless headphone. Like I can't go back to regular headphones, especially at the desk, like at work. There's no way. There's no way. So I mean, I either use AirPods, but they give you cancer apparently. And then, or I, I now have those ones I talked about, the, the Fios. Yes. So, I use those at more at work, but then I got the cord and the little Bluetooth adapter anyways gone. Yes. So no, wireless is the way to go. Um, extremely comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. So they've got the, they've got a little nice little leather pad on the other side on the headband and the ear cups uh, have a bit more depth than the Bose ones. Yeah. And they're also The Bose ones almost around. sit on your, no, they, they don't. They sit around your ears. They sit around your ears. Now I don't have like huge earlobes or anything like that, but mm-hmm. I did notice uh, it was it was kind of nice to have a little bit more room. Yeah, these are starting to annoy me. Inside the ear the cups. M50s. Right now. I mean, I've been wearing them for about an hour and a half now. Yes, we've been, my we've been listening. We've been wearing them for a while. Anyway, these are fantastic. I actually picked them up because I saw refurbished ones on Amazon for a fantastic price. So you got refurbished ones? So I got refurbished ones. Um, I can't tell the difference. They came in the same nice case that they all come in, got all the cables. Um, I'm going to look, but I don't need another pair of headphones. So. Uh, they still have the brand new ones. So if you want to buy the brand new ones, you can do that too. No, I was going to look at the refurbished ones. I don't know if they, I think they ran out of stock on the refurbished ones. Well, I'm like, I just said, I don't need a new pair right now. I can wait. Yeah. But yeah, but I mean, I have been, I have been on the hunt. <laughs> I have a pair of Bluetooth over ears, but they sit on your ears. They're like one of those cheap ones that sound really, really good for what they are. And they're Bluetooth five, I think. So they work amazingly. Yeah. But it's like one of those weird ones. And then I have... Uh, the AirPods, but I, and then I have the, the Bear Dynamics and I have the, um, the, ma- what are they, not the Master Drop, the other ones, which is now Drop. Yes, I saw that. That's weird. Yeah. No, I think it's fair. Um, I don't know. I have the other ones. And then uh, the Mono Price. And then I have the in-ear monitors. But what I don't have is a really good pair of over-ear wireless headphones. I do have the QC25s that I got um, as a gift, but yeah. 
Yeah, what so the, the, the MD what? WH1000. MDRWH? No, just, just WH. WH1000. 1000. 1000. XM3. XM3 refurbished. I don't know if they'll still have stock. It was just, there's literally just yeah. one seller selling them. Uh, I'll ask you offline how much you paid for them. Okay. They don't. There, there is a pair here that's cheaper, but I don't. They're not. They don't say they're refurbished. I think the retail typically is around three ninety nine or something like that. Oh, they are. They're called renewed. Renewed. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, they have them. That's yeah. still a lot. We'll see. But I mean, it's not a lot if like if this is your headphone. I just have. I've bought too many headphones in the past. A little while. Anyways. Yeah, we'll talk about it a little bit more. But they are fantastic. If you are in the market, if you're a person that sits in an office, yeah, you're probably gonna need some wireless headphones. The noise canceling is great. Mm-hmm. Plus the wireless, it's totally worth it. Yeah, Colin had the the it. wireless Bose ones, and he was always just look like he was. He living, had he the, was living the life. Yes, he had the triple black QC thirty five twos. Yeah, those were really good. I mean, he was always just like chilling at his desk, typing up all kinds of crazy code. Those were the standard for a very long time. Yeah, he actually those listens were, to the show. So yes, shout out to Colin. I think he's in Korea right now, but what's I think up, Colin? He's coming soon, but he listens to the show, so. Yeah. He listens to us on Spotify. I right? wonder if he listened to all the stuff about Destiny. He's I like, think, gosh, Greg, Destiny. I think he's literally the only person that listens to us on Spotify because the way that the the numbers work out, I'm pretty sure he's the only one. Anyway, side tangent. Wireless, active noise canceling. Uh, I haven't really gone, worn them enough to get through like a charge, like get through a battery charge. They're quoted at, I think, 25 or 26 hours. I mean, if they last more than a day's worth of work, I don't care. I mean, that's like, I a, that's, like a, that's a week's worth of work for me. Yeah. That's you, a week's worth of office if time. If you have to charge them every night, like who cares? Well, they also do this thing where they intelligently turn themselves off. Yeah, no, I know. Oh, and yeah, and there cool. are also uh, different levels to the noise canceling. So there's full on active noise canceling where it turns everything off. There is uh, a setting called ambient control on, which is like, it lets a little Such bit. Such a Sony name. It lets uh, like, if somebody walks up to you and starts talking to you, it lets that in, but it cancels everything out. So it's intelligently out, out. picking up it's trying voices too, that are close to you. Right. And then it has the Which ambient noise. Which is nice if you on. live in an office that's relatively quiet until somebody actually Yeah, that's true. Or if you're like in a place where you do need, if you're like walking around outside or something, you don't want to get hit by a car. Or, that you, sort do, of or thing. you do. Or you do. You never know. Whichever. You know, do what you need to do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we'll have links to those in the show notes. Um, if you're in a, if, if you need some headphones to just drown out the world, get some dev work done, help, help Greg with his, uh, open source applications or, or if you have an idea for one of his uh, new apps or if you want to yell at him on Twitter, use the headphones, put them on. It'll give you power. It'll, it'll make you feel good. You can listen to that power gaming playlist on Spotify. It's really good. Oh, is that one? Oh, power Guy walking gaming. on these ergos. Power gaming. My, the, That's my, where I got that song from. Oh, jeez. My favorite thing to listen to on Spotify is literally the Halo 2 soundtrack. I don't think I've listened to that. But That's I, the one. I listen to Explosions. That sounds like too much. No, it's... It sounds like too much action for me. Am I listening to like Zorro? Like Zorro right now. It's actually really good. It's actually perfect dive music. I All right, well, promise. send it to me and I'll Go check it out. It. But I, I listen to usually Explosions in the Sky or... Yes, that's a good one. I listen to... Um, that band. I don't know. My brain's working, not working this late. In sync? Yes. You've got me. That's the one that I listen to. No, Odessa. And this is oh, Odessa yeah. Oh. It's usually what I'm playing or my uh, Discovered Weekly is usually that kind of music. Yes. 
Unless I've been listening to rap all week. I listen to rap when I PvP. Makes sense. Yeah. Have you made any discoveries in this rap music that you've been listening to? This new thing that just well, came we, out? We, no, I li- used to listen to rap music all the time. Uh, well, that's where I've, I found that I found that... Uh, was it Lil Peep that did that song? The guy, that, the, the rapper that got killed? Uh, I think he died by suicide. Okay, well, he made a very dope song. I always wondered why he had so many tattoos on his face and I thought he was weird. But then I listened to his music and I was like, wow, he actually is really good. And then I realized that Travis Scott is really good. Yes, Travis Scott is amazing. Yeah, I didn't know that. Astro World is great. I, I, I'm pretty sure, did Astro World win a Grammy? It was definitely nominated for Best Rap Album. Yeah. I don't think I listened to the whole album. I just listened to that one song. So I probably will, should listen to his album. But yeah. he, the whole album is great. I was like, okay, well, yeah, you are very good. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes rappers are like so, uh, what's the right word? Like so uh, sure of themselves. Like on, I don't know what the word is. Like on like TV and stuff. But that's part of the it's music part of the though. persona. But then you listen to like, uh, who's the one who did the soundtrack for um, Black Panther? Who wasn't on that song? No, the, the guy, the main guy who did it. The main rapper. I mean, Kendrick was on it. Yes, Kendrick is the one who but put it all together. Set, no, but there are, mul- there are multiple people. Yeah, on. but like, Kendrick. SZA was on it. Yes, um, but Kendrick mixed it, I'm pretty sure. He did like the the song choices. He specifically did it. I remember. Charles Gambino was on it. The guy that worked. No, the guy no, that. No. no, the. um the No, no, Greg, no. The <laughs> Swedish guy that Charles Gambino wrote his last album with. His name is Ludwig. I forget what his last name is, but he wrote most of the actual music itself. I listened to a song exploder about this. He mm, actually wrote- I love that podcast. He actually wrote and orchestrated most of the actual music that's in the film. The soundtrack that you're referring to is actually listed as music inspired by the movie. So oh. a lot of those songs aren't actually in the film. Some of them are. End credits is that song by SZA with Kendrick on it. Um, Stars. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a good song. Yeah, that's a great song. But not all the songs on that soundtrack are actually in the film. So mm-hmm. a couple of the, the tracks, Kendrick, a couple of uh, tracks with uh, Charles Gambino are not actually in the movie, um, but they're kind of uh, curated by. But Kendrick Lamar did like a lot of stuff for that. Movie. Yes, Kendrick's fantastic. Yeah. So, anyways, what I'm getting at is I learned that he's really good. I didn't really listen to like this generation of rappers, but then I was like. The first time I heard like Kendrick's music, I was like, well, Jesus, he's really good. Yeah. He like, won a real good. He's the inspiration no, for he, us winning a Pulitzer. Oh, really? Yeah. He won a Pulitzer for his last album. We got, you know, you got a lot of work to do. We got big shoes to fill. Yeah. I don't know. And, you know, we'll get there though. It'll be okay. Yeah. He's really good. And then Travis Scott's really good. Other than that, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's pretty good music for, you know, popping heads in the crucible. That, that, that's, that's perfect use case yeah. for rap music. I got to get the recluse because then I can just use that. Just put on, uh, just put Pop on, uh, damn. Like literally the first three songs on Kendrick's last album are I think DNA and humble. Mm-hmm. Like if you can't shoot people, pff, bitch be humble. Yes, exactly. Bitch be humble. Oh my DCMA, DCMA all day long. Every time. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah, yeah. That should be cool. able to get you there. Yeah. Greg, I think what we're going to do is we're going to have to split this into two episodes. <laughs> well, that's what I wanted to do. Cause then maybe we'll have an, you should just pocket an episode double episode we missed last week well yeah but i mean you can pocket an episode for the next time that i have i can't make it is your is your destiny stuff going to be evergreen though you think uh i feel like you could just no i feel like it it doesn't split well because the intros were in like the one you have an intro with uh post show 
that'll be long enough for one. It might be it might be not be two equally length episodes, but it could be two episodes. We could have one that's like an hour and the other one like an hour and a half. How much content do you have? We are at 149 minutes right now. Well, you do you, but I mean, you could either take, you could just publish two separate episodes at the same time and be like, hey, we're sorry for last week. You got two now to listen to. Or you can save one in case we ever, but if you're, but if what you're going to do is save the Destiny one, no, because I think that's specific and Kyle has to hear that. Kyle needs to hear. I'm just going to pop both. But I would maybe split it into two. I'm going to split it into two. We're going to put out two episodes on one And then do one where it's like, whatever the title is, like Greg talks about Destiny for too long. And then the other one is whatever, rehashing. Greg hates Destiny. We'll go back to our old naming scheme. (laughs) You could. I mean, I didn't give any indication that I hate it, but you know, yeah, sure. Go for it. Yeah, that sounds good to me. But we won't need to pocket an episode because we'll be back next week, won't we? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Greg, where can people find you on the internet? They can find me at somewhere. At Grigorski on GitHub. Oh. On GitHub. Totally. Gulp load runners. If you have an issue with Greg or anything that he said on our show, issue. No, don't ruin my issue. pristine repo. That's oh, fine. You can say it's uh, not relevant. For a be better experience, hit Greg up on Twitter at Grigorski. I am at Al Park. The show is at a public function. We will be tweeting there. We will let you know when the episode or episodes... Ooh. Post online. If you would like to listen to us on the internet, independent of Twitter, on a place that is not anyone near twitter.com, you can also go to our website. We got to set that up. I'm telling you, we got to be able to do that. I'm telling you, it's better to do it this way. It is, but we have to try it because, you know, you could one, you could be, I could travel for work for like a week and we still have to record and I could be like we'll, in New York we'll or something. We'll do a double beforehand. Like I'm, I'm going to go on vacation in a few months. We're going to have to do episodes beforehand before we go. Because I'm not taking a mic to wherever I am going. Where are you going? Somewhere in Europe. I haven't decided yet. Oh, you're such a jet setter. You can be like the person who like shows up at the airport and it's like, one ticket to Germany, please. Or wherever. Austria. Actually, that's one of my, that's one of my goals in life. It's just uh, one day I just want to pack a bag, go to the airport and just be like. I don't know if you can do that anymore. Boom. Maybe you can. But walk up to the counter and be like, hi, here's my global entry. I would like one ticket, I please. guess if you have global entry, sure. But if you <laughs> like, don't. Well, my money's green. Like, <laughs> That's not really how it works. Like, really? I wonder, yeah, I think really? so. I don't know. That flight is taking off in an hour. Like, are the doors still open? Yes, give me a ticket. Thank you. If you go, if you went to LAX. But if you have global entry, yes, they'll probably let you do it because they know you that you're- If you went to LAX on like a Wednesday morning at like 10, so all the morning rush I think it's more of on. a security thing. Why is this person getting, like most people don't get on flights. Like, unless it's like, I really got to be at this business meeting and like- Open up my bag. Okay. Well, I should, I, should I show up in a, I'll just show up in a suit. I'll show up in a suit, open up my bag. Then you got to take the suit entry. with you to like wherever you're going. Okay. Clothes are cheap, man. Like, oh. just going to go buy like a cheap suit or something. That's fine. Whatever. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. That'd be cool. If you have better ideas, hit Greg I mean, up you could Twitter. also just plan your trip and go somewhere. You know, you could do that. I mean, I could do that. I am joking. Oh, it's kind of a life goal to be able to do that one day. You'll but maybe not do it. This trip specifically... I actually do have a place in mind, but we haven't like figured out all the details and whatnot. So uh, Mm. we'll have to figure out our recording schedule around that. I would prefer to do 
multiple episodes ahead of time. Just release them on schedule so I don't have to worry about it. If you really want me to lug a mic to wherever it is I'm going, then we'll do that. I mean, that. it probably wouldn't work, but it would be more interesting because then we could we could talk about where you are and what you think about it. And I also don't want to spend my vacation time talking to you. Oh, you want to spend vacation time talking to me? But That's the thing really is, cool. is that this thing is the thing that makes the magic happen. I'm not, there's no way I'm taking this with me. So well, no, you just, you just send one episode where we record our own audio and you sync it together. And it sounds as good as a mobile mic. Does. How long do you think syncing and post-processing without this takes? You're the one, one who's episode? going on a trip, man. I don't know what to tell you. You said you were going on a trip too. Yeah, maybe I mean, probably someday. Well, you know, one of these days, one of these days I'll be able to take time off, you know, I just, you know what I got to do? I got to get worse at what I do and then I'll be, you no know, one will want to work with me and I can just take all the time off I want, but then I might not be able to eat. So that won't be very good. I mean, I got ramen. I got some leftover for you from my um, unemployed spell here recently. <sighs> there is a point where you get too big for Twitter. It's like, what, why are you even, why are you even on <sighs> I mean, you could probably create like a. Queue, and then you can have like a bunch of people answer no, questions. No, as, as in you. like, there's no point for you to actually. No, be maybe you just like hire a bunch of people. You can clone yourself, or well, you can hire like a bunch of people that think like you, who like maybe like know what you would say. Jeff Bezos like is a, not on Twitter. Like a publicist, that's what it is. Yeah, and they pub they tweet for you. Jeff Bezos is not on Twitter. Correctly, he is not on Twitter. Elon Musk should not be on Twitter. You wow. are there. There's a, a level of like rich, richness and notoriety to where that uh, it becomes impossible for you to get anything positive out of being. I on mean, Twitter. he tweets cool so, photos from SpaceX. Yeah, he's also gotten knocked from the Alphabet oh. Boys. So, like, hmm. a knock from the Alphabet. What does that even mean? The Alphabet Boy. Do you not watch movies about drug dealers, Greg? No. Let's just end the, the SEC. The oh, FBI, those people. The Fibbies. I don't know what these terms are. I'm not like a, I don't have the reason to be wondering. The DEA, the FCC. I'm pretty sure he only had the FEC. What's the FEC? The, the SEC. So he SEC, settled, SEC. So he yeah, settled yeah, that, that the SEC thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is still the CEO of a publicly traded company. So that, that, that spotlight does not turn off. Yeah, so, but he. But all I know is that he tweets dope photos of space stuff. And he space also stuff. makes a lot of very... Uh, Wild claims. I wonder, you know, going back to what I said a second ago, I wonder if there's like a team of people who could like filter what you say before you say it. I think they're called publicists. He just shouldn't be on Twitter. He should have a publicist. There's no point for- He uh, should have like multiple publicists. He should have, he's rich enough to have a publicity team catering what he wants to say. And if he wants to be quick, he just texts his publicist and says, hey, should I post this? And the publicist says- Mm, I think you should post this. Sends him back some text and he puts it in. That's what publicists are for. Or he's just not bothered with it. He can have one he's on hand rich. all the time. He's that rich. He could pay two of them to he's be just 24 hours a day. He doesn't sleep. Jeff Bezos isn't on Twitter. Maybe he doesn't care. Jeff Bezos got bigger, bigger things to do. Yeah. You think Elon Musk doesn't have bigger things no, to do? No, but Elon Musk, uh, he, he, Jeff Bezos he's made some mistakes. To do. Jeff Bezos thing that he doesn't care about that he has better things to do is to eat Elon Musk's lunch to get to space. Like that's what he's doing. So again, there's a he's point. He's not feeding him on, on space. He's trying to. He's, he's trying, trying to. to. That's what I'm saying is that all the time that Elon Musk has mm-hmm. spent in court over the things that he said on Twitter. But that's mostly for Tesla. Uh, um, Pedo guy. You forget that one? That's called a class action. Yeah, but law. the that's problem called, is- called a civil lawsuit. This is why he's he, not spending time on that This is why either? he needs a publicist because when he says things about 
SpaceX, it involves government contracts and stuff. Like when he smoked weed on Joe Rogan's show, there was some speculation that he was going to lose contracts. He oh, he's didn't. in California. Well, he didn't, but they don't care. They don't They don't care if you're in a state that allows marijuana because we don't want to get into the whole thing about this, but it's a federal law that marijuana is illegal. And the NS, that NASA, not NSA, but NASA is a federal team, like government agency. So he they broke, don't care if he's in California. Yes, you're right. But he also broke no federal laws by smoking weed in California. No, he did because marijuana is illegal under federal law. Did he transport it? Federal jurisdictions no. only across state lines. It is illegal to, I'm pretty sure, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm pretty sure that marijuana is illegal at the federal level. But maybe you're it right. It's is. mostly related to narcotics and trafficking. It but is. It's whatever. The point is, he should have a publicist. point is, he should not be on Twitter. You and, and I he are should have the same a point. separate publicist for when he wants to tweet about Tesla and he wants to tweet about his own life or SpaceX. Or maybe he just has one publicist who's smart enough to handle all of those cases but he needs a publicist. I think it's cool that he's on Twitter. He just needs to filter what he says. It doesn't serve maybe, him. Maybe don't tell maybe him. don't call someone, you know, in another country a pedophile. Just be like, hey, your idea is dumb. And then don't call him a pedophile. Like he is <laughs> like he, you're not doing enough. He is okay. not serving himself by being on Twitter. He should just get off Twitter. Dude, he does a lot of, he does a lot of things that are cool. Like I saw a picture of the the new Starliner thing. Like he tweeted that. He tweeted a picture of the 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 Falcon Heavy that just launched before it launched. He he tweets stuff that I want to see because I like space. That's great. You know who else could tweet that? The official SpaceX account? The official um, Tesla account? I, don't, I mean, the official, I've, I don't really see tweets that bubble from the official SpaceX account, but the ones that he always tweets make it into my feed somehow. They make it into my sphere. What, you're letting Jack tell you what tweets to look at? Really? I don't even use Twitter. We've talked about this. They show up in news articles when he posts stuff. They show up <sighs> in science and space news. The only thing I care about, about Elon Musk, I mean, I like Model 3s. I like Teslas, whatever. I don't, have enough money for those things, but I do like space and space is so inordinately expensive that I can think about it and find it cool and never think that I'm going to buy a Falcon Heavy. So I like the space news. That's true. But Tesla's, every time I hear about it, I'm like, hmm, it'd be really cool to have one of those cars. Hmm, maybe by the time I can afford one, they'll be out of business. And then I get sad. Yeah, they won't exist. But space stuff, I'm like, I'm never going to be able to buy a, a Falcon Heavy or even a Falcon 9. You'll be able to take a trip to Mars eventually here. Very soon. Um, like in 25 years. But whatever. Space. Space would, is cool. I would make a bet that it'd be sooner than that. There will be people that will go to Mars before. Maybe not. I think, before I think 25 that, years, but maybe not people like me. Well, maybe not to Mars, but a like a, a suborbital flight, maybe tourist trip to the moon, like around the moon and back. Um, they're like not, you're riding a, like you're riding NASA a cruise not, ship. Yeah, definitely. NASA using SpaceX technology is not even going to make it to the moon in the next five years. I didn't say it was going to be SpaceX. Well, Mike Pence and what's his face, the head of the Bridenstine, who's the head of the of NASA, said that they were going to go to the moon in the next five years, and that they were going to go with commercial f- flight systems. And they specifically referred to Boeing and SpaceX. So one of those two is going to take humans back to the moon, but it's not going to be for another five years. Pence said, I want it done in two, but the Trump administration always says things. That- Virgin has already been able to go suborbital. Yeah, but they're not going to the moon. The moon is completely different. You need a heavier lift vehicle to go to the moon. You need, you need the, the only thing, the Falcon Heavy can go to the moon, but it's going to have to, but the, it's going to need a different top piece that has more fuel. But they're not going to the moon with the... I mean, they think that they're talking about being able to go to the moon with the Falcon Heavy. 
but they have to retrofit it with a bigger boost upper stage. When you're talking about SpaceX, Blue Origin, and Virgin, you're talking about three very, very rich people. Yes, They're I know, but the only out. one of no, the only one of them that has the, the the largest commercial heavy lift vehicle is the Falcon Heavy. I'm not saying that they can't make something because you can, but it also takes multiple years to get approved for manned spaceflight. The commercial crew is only being approved by who though? NASA. You can't launch people into space unless NASA approves it. Well, really? it's unless it's commercially, really? like regular people just paying money. That's what I'm saying. But you can't launch astronauts. And in order to go to Mars, you need astronauts, trained astronauts. I want to take a cruise around the moon and back. You're talking 10, 15 years out. I'm going to say eight. When it becomes, not necessarily that we would go on it, but no, that it's when, going to when be, somebody can be like, I would like one ticket to the moon, please. Yeah, one person who is rich will get a, trick, a ticket to the moon, but it will not be like anybody. 8.6 years. No, 15. 9.2 years. No, you're talking like, okay, someone is going to get into a rocket and go around the moon in the next five years. And it might be a rich person. But it's not going to be like, I would like one ticket in the International Space Station, like on Earth, whatever the bad name is there as an ISS. But like the International Airport, Interplanetary Airport, I would like one ticket to go around the moon. Like, no, that's not going to happen in the next, it's going to happen in the next 15 years, not any sooner. 9.42 years. All right, whatever. We'll just take a long-term bet about it like everything else we argue about and we'll see what happens. Yes. You'll see the results on publicfunction.show, the website. Yeah. Episode 945. Oh, that'd be amazing if we made it that many episodes. Are you kidding? (sighs) Well, you know. Dude, that's 900 someone episodes. That's like 20 years. 500, I don't know, whatever. 20 some odd years of doing this stuff. The point is uh, it takes, the thing about it is it's not that, Okay, I'm not gonna, don't take this lightly. It's not that hard for a rich company like Blue Origin to make a rocket. And Blue Origin has decent technology. Like they are creating rockets that are making it to the like low earth orbit. They will be able to launch satellites probably pretty soon. Um, But Tesla is just, SpaceX is like years ahead of them. Years in terms of like approvals and NASA approvals and the ability to get like, um, the specific contracts that are required and legal documents that are required to launch into space. Like that, a lot of that shit is regulated. They can't just launch something into space. You can, but sooner or later when it becomes easier to launch things into space, they're going to start regulating it more. Not only because of like them wanting to. It's like if you launch, if you launch rockets into space, the middle, in the middle stage doesn't come back down. You basically created an ability to destroy the the near Earth orbit path will become with there'll be more things there. Yeah, there's already too many things there. Yeah, so they're not going to let just like anybody in the world launch crap up there. If one of those Virgin flights blows up in the range of the orbit of the ISS, which is a lot higher, that debris can hit the ISS. So they're not just going to let anybody do it. So there's this guy I know. Um, his name is Vladimir, and he doesn't really care anything what the NASA says. They work with NASA. Even Russia does. The still, only doesn't, one, still doesn't care. The only thing. one you who doesn't... He, he, do you think that my friend Vladimir, uh, yeah, Vladimir is going to care if NASA goes, you know what? You shouldn't shoot that rocket up there. Yeah, well, you, know what? Like, mm. you know what? The other thing is Vladimir has a pretty good track record of launching rockets into space. They've only had one of them blow up and it blew up because of a failure of a, something and it happened near Earth and their abort system worked. So Vladimir knows how to run launch rockets. Yes, Vladimir knows what he's doing. He knows what you, he's doing. You know my friend Vladimir. He has 40 years experience launching rockets. You've met him before. 
You know him? Vladimir Putin? Yes, no, that's my friend Vladimir. I don't know him. What are you talking about? That's what I'm saying. He doesn't care what NASA says, so. Well, he also knows how to launch rockets, so go for it. Like, I mean, he can he can probably launch something to the moon. They almost did it, and they almost had a shuttle in the 70s that was the same as our shuttle. So. I, would, I would venture to say that Mr. Branson also does not care what NASA says, so. Well, Mr. Branson is in the United States, and he has to get licenses to fly things. Yeah, he's still citizen. Okay. All he needs to do is send it via Virgin. All right, we're like now, Ireland we're like so close to being on the plot of contact and I want to go to bed. No, that's not even close. That's not even close I got to go because my car's going to get locked in the garage. You got you got time. No, I want, I'm going to go. Greg. We're just we're Greg, babbling. Greg, Greg, see you next week. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But that was the, that was the post show. So I don't know what you're saying. See you next week. You already said that.